Genesis chapter 13, I'll remind you in the previous chapter, God called Abram out of Ur, the Chaldees, called him away from his kindred, out of his father's house, and by faith he was to follow God into a land that God would show him, and Abram does. At some point, God let him know he was to head for the land of Canaan, but for reasons that were not told, um, he decides a little over halfway to stop in a town called Haran, and he was there for quite a while. We don't know the exact timing, but it's evident from some of the verbiage there. They were there long enough to obtain servants and to get more gain. And they were there until Abram's father, Terah, passed. And once he passed away, they continued again on their journey southward into the land of Canaan. And, and so remember, here's Ab- Abram. He's being obedient to God's call. He's following God's leading into a land of God's choosing. But once he's there, he finds himself in the midst of a severe famine. Thanks, God. I thought following you was going to be easy all the time. It's not always easy, is it? And so we just need to get that settled going into this. Sometimes when God leads us into difficult circumstances, we can be tempted to lean onto our own understanding. We want to take matters into our hands. We want to figure everything out instead of just trusting God, but once we head down that path, we're, we're heading for trouble. Well, that's exactly what Abram did. He leaned into his own understanding. He's going to get himself in trouble. He left the altar of prayer. He heads down into Egypt, and you would really need to listen to last week's message to get all that we considered while they were there in Egypt. But long story short, it looks like Abram may have taken a stupid pill while he was there. He convinced his... Don't act like you don't have teenagers, amen? We always joked every birthday they woke up at 13, did you take your stupid pill today? And before the day was over, they proved that they had. Um, <laughs> just kidding, boys. You're awesome. All right. Well, Sydney's married. I'm not going to... You know, I can't pick on her now. Grant will beat me up. So... Um, I don't even know where Luke's at. Is he even here today? Does he even care about the things of God? Can, can, can y'all quit moving around so much? I never know where you're at. Amen. Uh, praise the Lord. Anyway, it, it looked like Abram, I don't know what he was thinking, but he convinced his wife, tell a half-truth. When, you, when we get down there, we don't want people to know that we're married. So tell them that you're my sister, which, which was true in the sense that she was his half-sister. And so they're trying to cover up their marriage And when you tell a half-truth, you're really telling a whole lie. And they're just not trusting God. He was only thinking about himself. Because whether they kill him to have Sarai, or whether they think he's her brother, she's still going to be taken. So Abram's only thinking of himself. And sure enough, the Pharaoh does take her, but Abram still doesn't say or do anything. He's even being rewarded for his bad behavior. Amazing that he doesn't speak up and say anything as he's receiving these gifts. I don't understand how he was able to do this. Thankfully, when a woman would be taken into a a pharaoh or king's harem, there would be a lengthy purification process. We see that clearly in the book of Esther. It was a 12-month process. And so thankfully, there's this lengthy process that he does not have her. 
And so at some point during that time, God steps in because Abram won't step up. For Sarai's sake, God intervenes by plaguing the Pharaoh and his house. And once the Pharaoh is wise to their lies, a pagan king ends up rebuking a follower of God. Abram should have trusted him, trusted God. The king sends them away. He escorts them out. And all Abram can do on his way out is hang his head in shame and not even open his mouth. He's wrong. He cannot justify this. He's now been rebuked by the world. And so they head back into the land of Canaan. And it's, it's similar for us. You know, Abram, isn't it interesting? He trusted God enough to follow him out of Ur. He trusted God to continue into the land of Canaan. And yet when it came to everyday life, he had a hard time trusting God. And we're no different. Many of you in here say, yes, I trust God for my eternity. Do you trust Him for today? Do you trust Him to meet your needs? Do you trust Him to come through? And we do the same thing. And so Abram here, he's, he can trust God for some of these bigger things, but in day-to-day life, he's having a difficult time in these circumstances. So do you trust God? And I mean, do you really trust Him or do you worry and stress and fear? Because if you worry and stress and fear, you're not really trusting Him. And have you left the altar of prayer in favor of your own schemes and plans? Always remember, the one who died for you is the one who cares for you. And if He cared enough to die for you, He cares enough to take care of you. Just trust His promises. All right, that was all last week. Now we come to chapter 13. Would you look with me, please, in verses 1 through 4? And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, and silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, and to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So we saw at the end of chapter 12... Abram had worn out his welcome in Egypt, and they sent him on his way. And so in verse 1, Abram is now heading out of Egypt, and we also see how Lot had journeyed with them into Egypt, and therefore Abram still hasn't fully obeyed God's call to leave his kindred in his father's house. You've heard me mention this many times. There's a reason I keep bringing this up. It'll become evident as we see these chapters unfold, but I want to just keep that in your mind as we go. Now, it kind of looks strange in verse 1 how it says Abram is heading out of Egypt, which is northward, but then it says at the end of verse, at the end of the verse there that he went into the south. Now, this isn't a contradiction, but what this means is he's traveling north out of Egypt back into the southern part of the land of Canaan, which is going to be made clear in verse 3, where it says, And Abram went on his journeys from the south. So I just wanted to clarify that. In verse 2, we are told, And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Remember that part of God's promise to Abram was that I will bless you. In all of Abram's journeying, God still blessed him. 
And along the way, Abram became rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And so I don't know who this may benefit in our congregation, but you are not out of the will of God if you're wealthy. (laughs) Does that benefit anybody? If so, come and talk to me. Amen. All right. But the Bible does warn us of the dangers of riches. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So money is not evil, but the love of money is. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own understanding. Now, should God prosper you greatly as you provide for your family, then great. I, Lord, I, I'd like to try it, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but don't make being rich your life. Because the expense may be your family. And we've all heard the sayings before. It's not a sin to have money, but it's a sin for money to have you. It's okay to possess riches, but don't allow riches to possess you. By all means, you ought to work hard. Manage your money wisely. Give to God. Pay your bills. Meet your needs. Save and then enjoy what you can as you're able. It's, did you know it's okay to enjoy life? <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5.18 Behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him. It is his portion. So thank God when you're able to do something, right, and actually enjoy a little bit of your labor. By all means, do those things. Um, Just make God your priority as you go, not the riches. And allow God to set your standard of living. Do you understand what I'm trying to say there? Uh, Just be content with such things as you have. And and allow God to set where your your standard of living is going to be. Because godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. And of course, lay up treasure in heaven because it is certain we can carry nothing out of this life. Amen. Now back to Abram. No doubt some or maybe a lot of his wealth has been given to him while he was in Egypt, acquired there. We know the Pharaoh gave Abram uh, animals and servants and, and this kind of thing. And I would imagine Abram was able to turn some of that into that silver and gold that we read about here. And I don't know about you, but as I look at this and I think about it, I think, why did God reward Abram while he was in Egypt when he was in the wrong? Does that bother anybody? You know, Asaph had that problem. He said, why is it the wicked prosper? And, And I look at this and I was just chewing on it. I'm like, why? This isn't fair, Lord, that you would prosper a man. He's, he's down, his wife's about to be taken and, um, used for all the wrong reasons, and, and yet he's being blessed. And all I can conclude is this. God said he would bless him. And God did. Whether that seems right in our eyes or not, God said, I'm going to do this. And I'm of the opinion now that these riches that Abram had acquired were to be a reminder of those other promises that God had made to him. Because God made several promises to him back there in Genesis 12, 2, and 3. 
So by obtaining so much wealth, I believe Abram was to see this as a reminder that God also promised, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great name. You're going to be a blessing. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Abram. And so these riches he obtained by the good hand of God should have helped him to maintain his faith in all of God's promises to him. And any time he would look upon, think upon those great riches, he should have been encouraged. All those other promises are also going to come to pass because God has been faithful in this. And he just needed to keep going forward by faith. Of course, if you know the the history of these two, there'll be some lapses along the way. But there may be something more being said here because this is a very unique occurrence of this word rich. The Hebrew word here for rich shows up in 109 verses, but this is the only time that is translated into English as rich. The literal meaning here is to be heavy. And it, it can be used in a good sense and a bad sense. In, in a good sense, it can mean numerous, rich, honorable. In a bad sense, it can mean burdensome, severe, and dull. And so while Abram was very rich, there could be a sense here that these riches were weighing him down. They were heavy to him. Matthew Henry made this observation in his commentary, quote, For riches are a burden. There is a burden of care in getting them, a fear in keeping them, temptation in using them, guilt in abusing them, sorrow in losing them, and a burden of account at last to be given up concerning them, end quote. Wow. And we'll see later in verse 6 through verse 9 how these great possessions do in fact lead to a burden in his life, a burden of sorts, because Abram and Lot are no longer going to be able to dwell together because they've got so much, and their herdsmen are going to have a strife. Um, But we'll get to that in another message. But it'll also be God's way of separating the two because Abram has been hesitant to separate from his kindred, his father's house, and God's going to make a way Um, for that to happen. And we'll talk about the benefit of contention next week. Amen? And all the fighters said, Amen. (laughs) Well, now I admittedly, I don't know how hard, how far to push the idea that these riches were a burden since they were a blessing from God. But we can also understand how these riches um, would have been a heavy responsibility And the idea just may be as simple that he was heavy with the blessings of God. He'd just been so blessed. Whatever the case, we're told in verse 3 how Abram continued on his journeys from the south until he returned back to Bethel. The mountain, that mountainous place that it was in between Bethel and Hai. Um, Remember from chapter 12 that after Abram left Shechem in the plain of of Moreh, he went unto a mountain on the east of Bethel. And remember, it was there. He had built one in the plain, but when he got to the mountain, he built an altar. And there at the altar, he called upon the name of the Lord. And so we read in verses 3 and 4, And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, unto Bethel and Ai, unto the place of the altar, which he made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. This is, this is such a great section. And I was disappointed how little I found commented and preached on this, these two verses. This is so good to me, what we see here. 
Um, Abram went down to Egypt, but when he did, he left behind him the altar of prayer. We never saw him pray. We never saw him build another altar. We never heard God directing. I'm not saying it didn't happen or didn't. We just don't see it. And he appears to have completely left that because, remember, he was leaning unto his own understanding. Hey, Sarah, I got an idea. Let's lie. That's not the Holy Spirit. And so they've left. He's left the altar of prayer to go down to Egypt. And as Abram is coming up out of Egypt, he's leaving as a humiliated, defeated man. He's miserably failed his wife. She should have been ticked at him. Amen, Amen, ladies? (laughs) You better have more respect for me, man. I'm sorry. I'm 65 and I'm fine. Am I the only one that reads it? All right. (laughs) He miserably failed his wife. He failed his God. He was reproved by a pagan pharaoh. He had nothing to say in his defense. If we can just put it plainly, Abram backslid. He experienced a failure in his walk with God. He had a misstep. He had a season where he was walking by sight and not by faith. And no doubt there were things that he looked back upon and wished, I wished I would have handled that differently. Thankfully, I think we can say Abram had been humbled down in Egypt. And as he enters the land of Canaan, he knows he needs to get back to Bethel. Why? Because that's where he last called upon the name of the Lord. That's where he last met with his God at the altar. Abram understood he had to go back to this place in order for him to go forward again. Abram had to get back to the place where he left God. Are you further from God today than you were before? Do you find yourself in a backslidden condition? Have you experienced a failure in your walk with God recently? Have you been walking by sight and not by faith? Are there things you look at and say, I wish I would have handled those differently? If that's you, then you need to go back to the place where you left off following and trusting God. It's like when you lose something and someone says, retrace your steps. Retrace your steps. Identify that moment where you began to go astray. Abram could look back and identify that place as the altar at Bethel. Now, it doesn't have to be a physical place. But maybe you can identify the place where you stopped being in prayer. The place where you stopped living in God's Word. The place where you stopped faithfully attending church. The place where you stopped giving. Or the place that you stopped witnessing. It could be that relationship that you are refusing to get right. It could be when you refused to forgive someone. It could be when you allowed pride to control you. It could be that point when you first got discouraged. 
It could be that wrong friendship you have allowed into your life. Maybe it was that point when you stopped going to the altar. And anytime we get away from God, we can find Him right where we left Him. And I don't mean to insinuate in any way that our God is a God we can put on the shelf, that we can just go pick right back up. That's not what I'm saying. But I think you understand the, the meaning here. God isn't the one who left us. But we are the ones who leave Him. And if you want to get back in fellowship with God, go back to the last place that you were right with Him. Back to where you left God. Back to where you used to call upon the name of the Lord. Abram went back to Bethel to where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai unto the place of the altar. And as we see at the end of verse 4, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. If you've ever backslid and returned to God, you can imagine what was taking place at this altar. We don't have Abram's prayer recorded, but I can hear him pouring his heart out to God as he confessed his sinfulness in Egypt. And as he thanked God for protecting his precious wife. Praised God for blessing him in spite of him. And there's no doubt that the Lord heard him there at the altar. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 145.18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. Jeremiah 29.12 and 13, Then shall ye call upon Me, and ye shall go and pray unto Me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek Me and find Me, when ye shall search for Me with all your heart. Can, can you imagine that feeling that Abram experienced when he got up from the altar. I, I, I know, can't trust our feelings. I, I get that. I know there are certain contexts where that's true, but let's just get real for just a moment. God gave us feelings. God uses feelings. It's okay to admit that you feel better when you're right with God. Whoop! Many of us know what it is like when we come back to the Lord again. Because you felt miserable out there in Egypt. Leaning unto your own understanding in the world. But once you went back to the altar and you cried out to God and you were forgiven, you felt that renewal in your heart and your soul. You felt it. Now, what can we learn from this account? Well, as I mentioned last week, I think it was. I'm so confused on what week I say stuff. I told somebody the other day I said something just recently, and it ended up being six years ago. Okay? <laughs> so I have no idea when I said this. I think it was last week. We're watching a man here who is, who is learning how to walk with God. Abram was no different than us. There were some lessons he had to learn the hard way, and there are some lessons we have to learn through very painful circumstances. And God uses those times to crowd us back to Christ, if you will. 
But also what I want you to see is how God did not give up on Abram. What a blessing. God didn't say, well, you're not what I hoped you would be, so you can stop calling upon me and I'll just find somebody else. Some people act like that's what God has said to them. But that's not what God does here, and He's not doing that in your life. Listen, just because we mess up along the way sometimes, it doesn't mean that God is done with us. God is a God of grace. And He wants to pick us up and get us back to where we belong, heading in the right direction again, if we will just humble ourselves and pray. I'm certainly not advocating to habitually live any way we want and God's just going to magically bail us out every single time. But we all have those moments when we think wrong thoughts. When we come up short of doing right. When we yield to our flesh. When we're drawn to the world. When we give into the temptations of the devil. Amen. Even, even babies can say amen. But when we fall and backslide or we get off course, if we'll just go back to where the Lord, where we left the Lord and call upon Him once again, He will hear us and He will pick us back up. Amen. Proverbs 24, 16, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Remember when the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, and God said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Jonah sure did get off course, didn't he? <laughs> you talk about a painful situation. Long story short, dude ends up in the belly of a well. You think that might make you cry out to God? Yeah, I would think so, and he does. And there in the belly of a well, he, he prays unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him. The Lord spake unto that great fish, and the Bible says it vomited him back up into dry land. You ever been vomited up? I didn't think so. That's a pretty rough place to be, amen? Man, you talk about a failure. But listen to what God said immediately following Him being vomited. Jonah 3, 1 and 2. This is so precious. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it, the preaching that I bid thee. God didn't give up on Jonah. But God said to Jonah the same thing He said at the beginning. Arise and go and preach My Word. God picked Jonah up and got him back on the right course. How about Peter? How many examples can we draw from his life? Remember when he stepped out on the boat and walked on water to Jesus? He got his eyes onto the, the winds and the, the waves. And when he started to walk by sight, he became afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And Jesus didn't say, sorry, pal. I'm done with you because you had a lapse of faith. Just go ahead and drown. Jesus didn't let Peter drown, but... When Peter cried out to the Lord, the Bible says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Amen. And guess what? They both walked upon the water back to the boat. Whoop. 
How about the time when Peter denied his Lord three times while Jesus was on trial? When Peter heard that rooster crow and he was so ashamed of his failure, he went out and he wept bitterly. But God wasn't done with Peter. Jesus came to Peter after his resurrection. He asked him three times over in John 21, Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And we know how God went on to use Peter mightily in his life. Listen, God does not give up on us, but we sure can give up on Him. God isn't the one who left the altar, but we can leave the altar. God isn't the one who left His Word, but we can leave His Word. God isn't the one who has left the church, but we can leave His church. Remember the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Christ didn't leave them, but He said unto them, You've left your first love. It wasn't God that left, it was them. And then there was the church of the Laodiceans, and they had pushed Christ out until He's standing on the outside knocking to come in. They removed Him. He didn't. He's still there knocking. Do you see how God doesn't give up on us? He wants us to be right with Him. He wants us to get into a good relationship with Him. And I want to tell you, if there's anything between you and the Savior, you need to get it right today because He's still where He was. Have you left the Lord? You need to return. Go to the place you left Him. Are you backslidden? Go to where you left Him so you can go forward again. Maybe there's an area where you can... Continue to allow the enemy to dominate your life. Go to the altar. Call upon the Lord again. Why not get right today? You can leave that feeling of being miserable from being away from the Lord and return unto Him with your whole heart and experience that feeling of that refreshing that we get from the presence of the Lord. Maybe you're lost today. You've never been born again. Boy, I hope you'd come to the altar today and call upon the Lord to save you. Christ suffered and died for you. He will save you. We sang it today. Whosoever will surely meaneth me. He will save you if you will be humble enough to call upon Him. And Jesus said, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So you can have your sins forgiven and washed away through the blood of the Lamb. You can stop being on the outside looking in but you can enter His kingdom today. God didn't give up on Abram and God isn't giving up on you. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, it says, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon If you need to draw nearer today, we encourage you to do that now. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation when I ask you to do business with God. Let's pray.